You're listening to Inside Judicial Watch here on JW TalkNet. Hello and welcome to this special edition of Inside Judicial Watch. I'm the host, uh, Jerry Dunleavy, and today we're coming to you from Capitol Hill, where we're talking about special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation and what congressional oversight might be being done. And joining me, uh, graciously joining me today, is uh, the representative from Texas's first district, Congressman Louis Gohmert. So great to be with you. Thank Jerry. you for thank joining you. me, sir. Sure. I appreciate it. So uh, I, I read a very interesting uh, piece that you put together here, <laughs> Robert Mueller Unmasked, and um, it it occurred to me that kind of from the get go, you had been warning about not just about the Mueller investigation generally, but also about. Robert Mueller specifically, yes. from the time that he was appointed. So I wanted to, to kind of talk to you today a little bit about sort of where, where was that warning coming from? Why, you know, why were well, you out ahead of it? And, ahead and that of is a legitimate question since most uh, Republicans, uh, most all uh, from the beginning when he was appointed uh, special counsel, were saying, oh, he has a good reputation. But my experience with him goes back to my days when he was FBI director and I was um, on the Judiciary Committee. Now, the first year he testified that I was in Congress, I gave him a pass, asked him easy questions. I knew he had served honorably, supposedly, in Vietnam. That's fine. Honor your service. But the more I found out and then the more I knew and talked about the problems he had created, the more FBI agents I heard from about the problems Mueller was creating. And for one thing, most people are not aware, but he did more damage to the ability of the FBI itself uh, than any, any director, probably all directors since Hoover put together. Uh, it was that damaging. Uh, and you found out he had an, an unconquerable ego and he didn't want any questions. And normally you get questions from people that are extremely experienced and would recognize when the director is making a mistake, it might offer a suggestion. Uh, he didn't want that. He wanted yes men. So he created a policy that might be good policy for most every bureaucrat, bureaucratic agency here in Washington. The policy was when you have been in any supervisory position for five years, at the end of that five years, you either have to move to Washington, basically riding a cubicle up here, um, or get out. And so I know NPR did a uh, story on this for and just covered like nine months. And in that nine months, they said like out of 350 people that came to that five-year decision point, 150 of them just got out. And when you figure most of those had 20 to 30 years or more of experience when they got out, just that nine months, we lost thousands of years of experience. And Jerry, I can't help but think with all of the incredible constitutional violations that we're now finding out about from the FBI, I'm sorry, I can't help but think if Mueller had never been FBI director or at least had never come up with that five-year up or out policy, then there would have been solid career FBI agents that were not just yes men 
that would have brought it to a head, would have stopped it, would have stopped him, would never have let these kind of constitutional abuses take place. But that was just one of Mueller's problems. Now, he did, oh, he had a software program they wasted millions on, and people wanted to tell him, but he wouldn't try to tell him. He wouldn't listen to anybody else. And uh, you just look at what he did to Stephen Hatfield, the doctor that uh, was... He, he didn't even deal with anthrax. We're talking and, about this sort of the, fa- the famous sort of uh, post-9-11 anthrax It case. was immediately after 9-11. Yeah. Now, I had, had somebody point out recently, but this is consistent with Mueller. He has protected radical Islamists for his whole career uh, as, with the FBI and even his special counsel. But... Um, 9-11, we knew who, we found out who the perpetrators were. There were no questions, no question. That was radical Islam. And immediately after that, the anthrax scare occurred, and he was looking for something to take the attention away from the concern about radical Islam. So he sets his sight on Stephen Hatfield, and he destroys his life, ruins his friendships with other people. They go to him. They basically, from what I understand, were uh, telling friends, neighbors, people that worked with him that he's killed people with anthrax, he's evil. And there was never any evidence, no evidence. And it was so bad that at one point Bush called him and his uh, joined-at-the-hip friend Comey in and said, you know, there doesn't appear to be any evidence that Stephen Hatfield is the anthrax killer. Are are you sure? And he said, I'm 100% certain. But nothing describes Mueller's or encapsules uh, Mueller's personality more than what happened after it became exceedingly clear, not only that there was a reasonable doubt, but that Dr. Stephen Hadfield had nothing to do with the anthrax. Zero, absolutely nothing. When Mueller was questioned, well, of course, he doesn't show up to explain that it wasn't him. And when asked, he said he had absolutely nothing for which to apologize. So this is kind of his thing. Of course, uh, Dr. Hatfield was paid $6 million for Mueller's abuses uh, in a settlement, but he had no apologies. He had no apologies for working so hard. We don't have direct evidence that he knew that his FBI agents, when he was in charge of criminal prosecutions in Boston, that he actually knew that his FBI agents were framing uh, mob kingpin Whitey Bulger's competition, but there were four guys that his FBI framed that were competitors in in uh, organized crime with Whitey Bulger. They were protecting Bulger, and he knew they were protecting a mob kingpin. He knew that for sure. But he he was even sending uh, mail to the to the parole board when it was clear. These guys were framed they didn't do it and demanding that the parole board not let these guys out. Now, they got $100 million, and two of them died in prison. Uh, They weren't good guys, apparently, from uh, the things they were involved in. But this tells you a lot about the man, and I've seen it over the years. He doesn't follow the normal American jurisprudence where we... If we know that a crime's been committed, 
then we investigate that. And when we have probable cause to believe that someone committed that crime, then we're able to get a search warrant. We're able to get a warrant for wiretapping different things. But in his way of doing things, whether it's Stephen Hatfield, whether it's Kurt Weldon that was in Congress, if he doesn't like somebody, in his mind he classifies them as a bad person, then it's time to find something they've done and destroy their lives for it. That is the kind of destructive wake he's left behind his time in uh, in the FBI and as special counsel. So you've talked there about a lot about sort of his his past history. In, in your mind, how does it how does it connect now to what you're seeing with the special counsel? You're referencing some yeah. what you in your mind is constitutional issues. Talk to me about that. It's worse than I ever imagined. The things that are coming out now, the abuses, this stuff being set up in advance, we're finding out more and more as people have looked for a day when the investigation into the Trump campaign actually happened. Can't have a good day, but now it appears that when Trump identified people that might end up in his administration, they recognized the FBI and these people that wanted to stop Trump, they recognized a couple of names. Comey, of course, was FBI director. There had been plenty written and said about how close Comey and Mueller are, which also is a good indication how unethical the man is. Uh, the law and the, the rules themselves uh, on special counsel um, and the laws at four a prosecutor do not allow someone who even has the appearance of impropriety or subjectiveness to act in that role. And yet he was up here lobbying to become FBI director after Comey's gone. And he's also up here immediately. And then, as we know, Comey said he leaked it, hoping that uh, we would get leaked a conversation that he says he had with the president so that he would hopefully get a special counsel. And then the special counsel ended and up being And then it being his, his guy. I think the, it was a Washington expose on uh, Mueller and Comey and basically at the end in grandiose fashion that if the world were burning down, you know, they both would have the satisfaction of knowing they would be standing there together. I mean, this is not somebody that should ever have been able to be prosecuting or be investigating an obstruction of justice issue against Trump because it necessarily, absolutely necessarily involved James Comey as a witness. And that's still a problem for Mueller. Uh, he should never have taken it. And then when we find out that he was the FBI director with direct control and an interest in and following the investigation of Russia's illegal efforts to get our uranium, along with a guy named Rosenstein. And he, in that circumstance, got a guy named Weissman, a Republican Trump-hating Weissman, uh, who had destroyed lots of lives, much like Mueller, he found people or companies like a accounting firm he didn't like, 
had no problem destroying all 10,000 lives or so. No problem. No apologies, no regrets. He destroyed lives, ruined families, and uh, so naturally he wanted Weissman to be with him as special counsel. But Weissman, Mueller, Comey, uh, to a lesser extent, but absolutely Rosenstein, they really stifled any information coming out about the illegal acts Russia was engaging in to try to get U.S. uranium. Now, for the sale of U.S. uranium, you have to have permission from the Commission on Financial Investments in the U.S., which is CFIUS, C-F-I-U-S. So CFIUS has to vote and approve. And, of course, Hillary Clinton was part of that. Um, they approved the sale of U.S. uranium that it would, it was obvious it was ultimately going to be in Russian hands. They approved that. If Mueller and Rosenstein and Weissman allowed the information about Russian crimes to try to get our uranium to come out before they, CFIUS took up that vote, CFIUS even knowing that the Clinton Foundation was going to get $145 million, hypothetically, they would still not have been able to, to vote to allow that sale. So Mueller, Rosenstein, Weissman, possibly Comey, should have been investigated for their role in the conspiracy to allow Russia to get our uranium. But it seems obvious that while they're continuing to investigate and dragging out, spending millions and millions of dollars in this uh, ridiculous special counsel quest, they're also running out the statute of limitations on any crimes they may have committed in conspiring to allow the sale of U.S. uranium to ultimately get in Russian hands. So this is a mess. But going back to its genesis, you know, first we were told, you know, Papadopoulos may have been the start, or I guess maybe Carter Page and Papadopoulos. But now we move back far enough into early 2016, it appears the genesis was when uh, Donald Trump gave some names of people that might be in his administration and people that are part of this cabal to take out the president illegally. Uh, they recognized some names, and then they started trying to set those people up so that in the event, the extremely unlikely event that Donald Trump got elected, it was what uh, I guess Strzok called an insurance policy uh, just in case he got elected. And we've now... Uh, they. They have not been able to point out exactly when the genesis, when it started. They, they've said they have, but we keep finding it earlier and earlier starting. And it appears now they were trying to set up the Trump campaign from the beginning. Uh, this is a cabal set on a coup. So, Congressman, then in, in, light, in light of all of that, um, what sort of oversight is, uh, is Congress conducting uh, in all of this when it comes to the special counsel investigation? And what do you think that President Trump 
uh, should do at this point. Well, I feel sorry for President Trump. I mean, he's gone nearly a year and a half with this thing hanging over his head and a real effort to get him thrown out of office or even put in jail. I mean, that's kind of tough to come in on. But uh, as far as what Congress is doing, uh, we, uh, we aren't doing enough mm. in my mind. But on the other hand, I know Devin Nunez is, he is really working hard to get down to the bottom of what happened. He has really been conscientious. I've really been proud of Devin the way he stepped up. But, um, you know, he has run into obfuscation, lies, uh, and unfortunately, since Jeff had Sessions had recused himself, then it's really tricky for him to try to get in and force uh, Rosenstein and Mueller to do the right thing and produce the documents and not try to hide things. But that's exactly what the DOJ and the FBI have been doing. So our uh, intelligence committee, uh, not near as much from the oversight committee, but the intelligence committee under Devin Nunez has really done about everything they could, uh, though they are constantly hitting brick walls. Um, you know, Judicial Watch, I literally thank God for Judicial Watch, and I know you didn't ask me this, but I happen to know behind the scenes some of the things that Judicial Watch has done that others don't know about just to try to protect this little experiment in self-government. And when it, 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 like on the Benghazi committee, um, we had an oversight committee, but uh, it didn't do a fraction of the work that uh, Judicial Watch did in getting emails and getting all kinds of... Uh, uh, documentation as to the wrongdoing by the Obama administration. So, uh, uh, and I know in other situations they provided counsel, they have pursued documents. So I know they were getting things that the oversight committee, you know, Trey was, Gowdy was trying, but he didn't have a fraction, wasn't able to get a fraction of the kind of information Judicial Watch was. And, uh, I know, um, Tom Fitton, Judicial Watch were able eventually to get a committee out here to accept the documents they'd gotten. Originally, Tom told me they went for months and couldn't get anybody to accept their calls or accept documents that they had gotten. But Judicial Watch does what Congress should do, and that, that includes not only subpoenaing documents, but doing what Judicial Watch does. Go to court and get a judge so fed up with hiding by some in the federal government that the judge threatens to put them in jail if they don't produce it, and then things start getting produced. So I'm grateful for Judicial Watch, and I'm hoping that at some point the federal government will be as um, invigorated to find justice and find the truth as Judicial Watch. And I, I hope appreciate it. Thank you. I hope the same. So thank Thanks you very so much, much for uh, for speaking with me thank today, Congressman. Thank you for the interview. I've enjoyed it. But also thank you for all that Judicial Watch does. Well, thanks, Congressman. And thanks for joining us uh, today for this uh, edition of Inside Judicial Watch. Uh, thank you very much to, to the Congressman for, for taking the time. And uh, until next time, I'm Jerry Dunleavy. Thanks. Thanks, Jerry. Thank you, sir.
You have just listened to Inside Judicial Watch here on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.